Well, let's bow once more before we open up the Word of God together today as we take a look at some responses to the resurrection. So let's bow once more. Gracious Father, we pause for one more moment and ask that your Spirit would work in a mighty and powerful way here this morning, that through the lives of everyone who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, that they would realize the power that was exhibited when you raised your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the dead. That their response in belief and faith in him for salvation uh, it would not go unnoticed, that it would define who they are so that the world would see them as different, as those who have been redeemed that are no longer slaves to sin, but enjoy the freedom of worshiping you in spirit and truth. And Father, too, I pray for those that, that may be here this morning that do not know your son uh, as their savior today. Maybe as a result of some of the responses we'll take a look at today, and Lord, I ask that your spirit would work mightily in their hearts so they would see the, the waywardness of their, their thinking or the convictions that they have held to for whatever reason, that you would cause them to see their need of a Savior this morning. Because that's truly what Easter Sunday is all about. It's about resurrection, about your son being resurrected from the dead, and us as believers in your son being resurrected from our sins uh, and being able to be in the presence of the one who is holy, 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 as we just sung moments ago. And so, Father, Lord, we ask that you would teach us this morning, that your truth would uh, ring true, uh, that it would sanctify, that it would uh, be used to bring you honor and glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 28. It'll be a few moments before we actually get to that section. But by way of introduction, as you know, today is Easter Sunday. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God, uh, as he was, uh, you know, had the authority to lay down his life, had the power to lay down his life also had the power and authority to take it up again. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. As he walked the earth, as he spent time with his uh, disciples, with those that he spent teaching uh, for uh, a few years uh, as they traveled around, uh, he ended up not you know, shying away from the fact that something profound, something miraculous was going to happen, something that they did not expect the fact that he would end up having to die on a cross. And the responses that uh, those around him had when they found it coming down to that final hour uh, were many mixed emotions. You know, how can this be? How can this man who, you know, spoke as one having authority, who had the ability to heal and to cast out demons like he did, how is it that he is hanging on a cross, dying a sinner's death? experiencing excruciating pain, having his very lifeblood dripping out of his body on that cross. You know, if you had been there and you had walked with Jesus and had been under his teaching, you would have most likely been in the same situation, in shock, 
not knowing what to do or how to respond. But it wasn't because of a lack of Jesus not telling them that he was going to die. As a matter of fact, telling them that he was not only going to die, but on the third day he would rise again. And so for the first few minutes as we consider what Christ did, for you to understand these responses a little bit better, you know, first I'd like to consider the fact that Jesus directly told his disciples that he would die and be resurrected. Matter of fact, after feeding the multitudes in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we have in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew chapter 16, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. So Jesus was very plain there to let them know that he was going to die. He knew how he was going to die. He knew when he was going to die. And he knew that he was going to rise again. He knew who was going to send him to that cross. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had a mission that he came to accomplish. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because Jesus Christ was unlike any other man. Matter of fact, we know scripturally that Jesus was born of a virgin because the Holy Spirit came upon Mary so that Jesus would not have a sin nature like you and I have, so that he could maintain and be the sinless sacrifice. Because the scriptures say that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And the thing is, every last one of us, everyone in this room, myself included, everyone that is walking this planet, everyone who has lived and died before us, and even those that are in the womb that yet are born, and those that are going to be coming, all have something in common. We have a sin nature, and we are in rebellion against a holy God. But Jesus, even after telling everyone, after feeding the, the multitudes, after his transfiguration, he also reiterated this same truth. We find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. And in his final days before his crucifixion, also in those three books of the Bible, Jesus made it very clear that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. But Jesus not only directly told them these things, but he also indirectly alluded to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because in John 12, it says, but you will not always uh, have me. In John 13, he says, where I am going, you cannot come. John 14, where I am, or while I am still with you. Mark 14 and John 2, it says, destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. Which was alluding not to the physical temple, but to he himself as that final sacrifice. And that he would rise on the third day. And also in Matthew 12, the sign of Jonah. It says it in actually Luke 11.30. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man, which is Jesus Christ, be to this generation. So Jesus was making it very clear that he came for a particular purpose, because you and I are sinners in need of a Savior. And apart from Jesus Christ, the one who is the only way, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are without hope, dangling from a string over hell itself. That is the truth. The thing is, people respond differently to what Jesus said. 
And we'll see those responses in a moment. But know this, even in Matthew 27, the religious leaders remembered what Jesus said, that he would die and then on the third day be raised again. And so that's why they ended up putting a guard at the tomb. That's why they had the tomb sealed. Because they wanted to make sure that what Jesus said did not come true. And they wanted to hide it and wanted to contain it in any way possible they could find. And weren't they surprised on the third day? So let me share with you this morning three different responses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that takes us to Matthew chapter 28. I'd like to begin by reading verses 1 to 10 to you. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, whom was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the first response to Christ's resurrection was that of distress. See, the thing is, no one believed what Jesus told them, even though he was very clear and told them directly on multiple occasions this was going to happen. Because it was something that was really just unbelievable. What do you mean you're going to die? Matter of fact, Peter, in in hearing it, his response was, you know, know, this can't happen. And what did Jesus tell Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. Because Peter's will was not God's will for Jesus, God's son. See, the thing is, he came to die. He came to take upon himself sin. He came for the purpose of offering himself as a sacrifice so that every sin, whether in thought, word, or deed, can be forgiven through faith and trust in his sacrifice and his sacrifice alone. There is no multiple way to God. It's not just being a good person. It's not just coming to church. The only way that you can be saved, the only way that you can be redeemed, the only way you can have your sins forgiven is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you see, the thing is, Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. He rose from the dead. Showing his victory over sin itself showing that his sacrifice was worthy and able to do the very thing that it was meant to do, and that is to forgive sin when it is applied to a sinner's heart, mind, and soul. But you'll notice here in this text, in verse 4 it says, and for fear of him, from fear of just the angel of the Lord, the, the guards, Roman guards, 
who were trained military men were like dead men. They were so distressed because what happened and what they just witnessed was unbelievable. It was a miracle of God because a stone that would take more than just the two of them to roll away themselves if they chose to do so was completely removed from in front of that tomb. The very thing that they were charged with to be uh, watching and guarding all of a sudden was gone because Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And also, as you see there, the, the angel spoke to the women and says, do not be afraid because he knew that there was fear there because even as the women were coming there, they weren't coming because they thought Jesus rose from the dead. They were coming to put spices on his body. See, the thing is, no one came to the tomb that day for the purpose of seeing Jesus Christ rise from the dead. But weren't they surprised? Because the very thing that they didn't expect, even though Jesus told them multiple ways, directly and then also indirectly, that just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and came out, the Son of God, the Son of Man, would do the same, but with a grander and greater purpose of providing redemption. And you'll notice in verse 8, it says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. So there is a mix of emotions here. It's almost unbelievable. How on earth could this possibly happen? How is it that Jesus is alive? He was just dead a few days ago. And in complete shock because all of this had transpired in one week. From saying, you know, uh, you know uh, Hosanna on you know, the beginning of the week to saying crucify him at the end of the week to find out on the first day of the week, guess what? Jesus isn't in the grave. See, fear is the adversary of trust. And when someone is distressed over something and they don't know which way to turn, they're, they're constantly being torn one way or another. Do I believe or don't I believe? And what happens is, is fear is a very powerful thing when we give it power. For the soldiers, they were in fear because they knew they had failed, but they also had seen something miraculous. The women, when they came, were in shock because they did not expect it, but all of a sudden something beautiful happened. Could it possibly be that just like Jesus said, just like the angel said, that Jesus, just as he said, he would rise from the dead, he has done so. But see, the more fear you have, the less trust you have. And when people give room to fear, then they are saying that fear itself is more powerful than God. And the thing is, there's many people that are distressed over what they believe about Jesus. They're afraid to trust in Jesus. They're afraid to give up power in their own life, not realizing that all the power they have is even a gift from God himself. No one exists of their own making. No one is autonomous. The only reason that we're alive right now is because of the grace of Almighty God. So those were the distressed. The second were the deniers. And these are a whole different group of people. And this is in the same passage. You can just uh, continue reading along in verses 11 to 15. 
It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Some are distressed. Some are just outright deniers. It doesn't matter how much truth there is, they will suppress it, because that's exactly what a denier does. See, the religious leaders didn't like Jesus, Because Jesus threatened their whole way of life. Because they had surrounded themselves with a very convenient religious system that safeguarded them and gave them the ability to look down over their noses at everyone else and to puff themselves up. See, they denied that Jesus rose from the dead even though we know that there was a consideration in their mind that it could possibly happen because why was there soldiers at the tomb? Why was the, the tomb sealed? Because they were also afraid. Because what if Jesus actually is who he says he is? And look what happens when people are deniers, even of the truth, they are foolish. Because if Jesus truly is the son of God, which I believe 100% he is, Who is going to contain the Son of God behind a Roman seal and a stone? The creator who made all things out of nothing. That's foolishness. But see, that's what a hard heart, that is what a fearful heart, that is what a denying heart does. Deniers suppress the truth so that it will not surface or be embraced. It doesn't matter that it's true. We live in a culture today that is exactly doing that very thing. So what have we done to safeguard our, our, you know, ourselves as a culture? Well, truth is what I determine it to be. Truth is subjective to my experience. But see, that's the, it's a complete opposite. It's an oxymoron to what truth is. You can have an opinion that belongs to yourself as a subjective to yourself, but you can't have truth that is subjective to yourself. We all can't have our own truth. There is absolute truth that comes from God himself. See, deniers often fabricate a lie to misdirect from and to cover over the truth. Romans says that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And this is exactly what the the religious leaders did. They even paid the soldiers to lie about what truly happened, even though they saw it with their own eyes. Shows you what fear can do. It shows you what money can do. It shows you what someone motivated enough to surround themselves with their belief system and not even believe the truth that is right there before their eyes. They deny it wholeheartedly, even though the truth is right there in their face. A truth that would set them free if only they were to embrace it. The distressed, the deniers, and finally the doubters. That takes us to actually the Gospel of John. So I'll have you turn over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 24 through 29. 
And for some of you here, you're probably saying, ah, I know what Pastor Bill's going to read already. Poor guy. Poor doubting Thomas, right? John chapter 20, starting in verse 24, and I'll read through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. So this is one of the disciples, one of, one of the closest ones to Jesus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, okay, so this is interesting because it's one of those little details is that Jesus made Thomas wait eight days. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So guess what? The Son of God, in his glorified form, guess what? Doors don't stop him. Just like the tomb could not hold him. Then he said to Thomas, notice this, he goes right to the point because he's there for a particular purpose. He is there for Thomas. He, he wants Thomas to believe. He says, put your finger here in my hands and, and put your hand and, and the place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Some people waffle back and forth because they're distressed. They don't know what to believe. They don't know what, how to proceed. Some are just downright suppressors and deniers of the truth. There's others who doubt. You know, I'm not going to believe unless. And so a doubter will put parameters on there because they have to be convinced more than someone else. Because they've chosen to, to doubt whether, or doubt than to believe, if I can get the words out. But see, the thing is, I don't want to be just hard on Thomas because he wasn't the only doubter. Matter of fact, in Matthew 28, it says some worshipped and some doubted. See, the thing is, what Jesus did, what Jesus accomplished in not only offering himself on that cross as the sin sacrifice, but doing something glorious Wonderful, magnificent, something beyond reason, beyond all scope of understanding of the human mind is that he rose from the dead. But see, doubt is the adversary of faith. You cannot doubt and have faith at the same time. You know, Jesus told him, do not disbelieve, but believe. And it's interesting because at the end there in verse 29, it says, blessed are those who have seen or have, yeah, who have not seen and yet have believed. I haven't seen Jesus's nail prints in his hands or his feet or put my hand into his side. But thank you, God, that he is by grace giving me the eyes to see, even though I cannot physically see Jesus's body.
See, the thing is, people go through life doubting all kinds of things. Matter of fact, you probably got up this morning and doubted whether or not it was a good thing to go to sunrise service at 6.06 this morning. (laughs) And I was pleasantly surprised because I normally get there and it's just Dale and I for a few minutes and we, we talk. And I got there and there was already almost 18 people there thinking, wow, everybody's coming. But see, the thing is, there's people that go through their entire lives doubting everything. They're skeptics. They don't want to believe because there's not enough proof. I just need a little bit more proof that Jesus is who he says he is. Well, how much proof is enough? Jesus Christ was, was there and his disciples. So, so what Thomas was telling the rest of the disciples is, I don't believe you. Oh, so what you're saying is, is we're lying to you? You know, we all got together and said, let's lie to Thomas today and just make up that Jesus is alive and we've seen him with our own eyes. See, that's what happens when we doubt. And see, the thing is, doubt is also driven by fear. Do you see what fear can do when we give it power? You know, we are, you know over the last two years, we've been living in some state and some form of fear because of what COVID could do, did do, and could potentially do. But the thing is, in relation to salvation, this is the most important thing of all of life. If there is nothing else that you do after today, except put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ or know that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is the very best thing that ever could happen to you. Because you could die like that and find yourself in eternity. And Lord willing, you're not the one that is dangling by a string over hell itself. Because once that string is no more, you're going to find where your eternal destiny is because hell is a real place. Jesus knows that. Jesus knew that. That's why Jesus came was for the purpose of offering redemption. Because we all deserve hell. Because we are all disobedient to God. And no matter how good we think we are, Compared to the holiness of God, we are filthy. No matter how much good work you do, no matter how good you are to other people, no matter how much you you give of your time, your resources to other people, to family, to the church, none of that matters if you don't know Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about knowing up here in your mind to know that he is an actual person. I'm talking down here in your heart where you know him as your Savior. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. So what will your response be? Because we've got three that we've looked at of what happened on that that resurrection morning and following. Some were distressed, waffling back and forth, not knowing what to believe in complete shock. There are those that just refused to believe that it could possibly happen. And so therefore they paid off the soldiers and said, don't worry about it. We got it. We got, we'll take care of it. Just to surround themselves and to continue to live in their religiosity, which the Bible and, and Jesus made it very clear, they were whitewashed sepulchers. So that means internally they were like a grave with a rotting dead corpse in it. No life spiritually even though they were religious leaders. See, Jesus came for a particular purpose. 
In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we find out what that purpose is. This is speaking of Mary. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Because that's why Jesus came. Because you and I are in a precarious position because we deserve eternal damnation because of our sin before a holy God. But God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his love sent Jesus Christ. So are you fearful this morning? Maybe for the very first time, your fear has been challenged. Maybe you've been going back and forth not knowing what to believe. You know, maybe, maybe your parents believe, but you don't. Maybe you've got friends that invited you to come to church today, and you're wondering, what is this all about? Because you only come to church on Easter Sunday, which, by the way, I'm glad you're here. I don't care what Pastor Caden says. <laughs> because I love seeing your faces. Because I was deprived of them for too long. But are you fearful this morning that Jesus did come to die and rise from the dead for the purpose of providing salvation for you because you are in need of it. And apart from Jesus Christ, you will die in your trespasses in sin. You know, does it really mean that I'm a sinner in need of salvation? How can that be? I'm not a bad person. No, Pastor Bill, I've never been incarcerated. You know, I've only gotten one or two speeding tickets. See, the thing is, all of those things, even if you just think a sinful thought, you are guilty. Does it really mean that I'm under God's judgment? No, that's not, you know, God's loving, isn't he? Yes, God is love. That's one of his attributes. But he's also just. He is also righteous. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you and that means me. We all have sinned at least once. And we're not going to go around and ask you how many times you sinned, even this morning since you got up. But see, the thing is that what that does is that puts a separation between us and God. See, God cannot be in the presence of sinfulness. And what we deserve is our just desserts. The wages of sin is death. So in other words, that's what you get paid. Because you've sinned before a holy God, what you have earned, what you deserve is death. And separation from God forever. In a place called hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because that's what we deserve because that's who we are. But see, Jesus did something beautiful. Because he came because that was part of God's salvation plan from the beginning. Because Adam and Eve did choose to disobey God, but God had a plan in order to make it possible for us to be made right with God forever. And that's Jesus. No one else. No one else qualifies. Only the Son of God, who became the Son of Man, who gave his life. Can you have salvation? Because that verse goes on, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So are you fearful of the truth today? Or do you just outright deny 
the truth this morning. You know what, Pastor Bill? You know, I'm not even sure why I'm here. And you've been saying all kinds of things, and you know what? You might believe that, but I don't. Well, I feel sorry for you this morning. And my heart goes out to you this morning. Because if you're here and you just outright deny the truth about Jesus, then your doom is sure. I know where you'll spend eternity. God knows where you'll spend eternity. Maybe it doesn't matter to you that it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. When you say, that's a nice Bible verse, Pastor Bill, but that's just what the Bible says. Well, see, the Bible is the word of God. And God is the creator of all things. And because he's the creator of all things and has eternally existed in holiness, he has the right to establish what the law is and to say what the penalty is for breaking his law. See, that's because he's, he's the God of all. And he is almighty God and no one will escape his judgment There is no dark corner you can hide because everything is laid bare before the one to whom you must give an account. Maybe it doesn't matter to you that in John 3, verses 16 through 20, we have a beautiful picture of what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, that's reiterated based off of what we read in Matthew chapter 1, for he will save his people from their sin. Verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe him is condemned already. So see, that's why I know that if you don't know Jesus Christ and you die in the next second, You're condemned without hope, eternally separated from God forever in a place of torment that you deserve, that I deserve. See, that's what makes Christ's sacrifice so beautiful because he took God's wrath for my sin upon himself. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, there's not multiple ways to God. There's one. God provided it through his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the judgment, verse 19. And this is speaking to the deniers out there. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Because that's exactly what God does. Because when his holy, holy, holiness shines light into your world, You feel filthy, you feel dirty, and you don't want that light to reveal who you truly are. And the thing is, is we we can disguise ourselves quite well on the outside. But if people could really see on this screen behind me what maybe you're thinking or what you've said or what you've done. But see, that's what God sees eternally. He knows what you've thought, what you've have said what you have done. They loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. 
See, that's what deniers don't want. They don't want their deeds exposed. I don't want people to know that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. I don't want people to know that I have a problem with this or that or whatever you want to put on that list. Are you fearful? Do you just downright deny? Or are you divided as to whether to believe in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection? Because some people are divided. They're the skeptics. They don't know which way to turn. You wonder if maybe there's multiple ways to God, multiple beliefs. And if you turn on the news or you watch the television, there's a lot of people out there to tell you that there's multiple ways to God. But see, the thing is, they don't know the word of God because they've made a God of their own making. It's wishful thinking that, yeah, you know what, I can live however I want, and, and, and God will just accept me for who I am when I stand before him, if there is a God. See, it's a, it's a safe way to live. There's no accountability. There's no you know, answering to anyone. I can do whatever I want. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ, God's Son. But you know, some are fearful, some outright deny, some are divided, but you know what? Many did believe in Jesus. Even when Jesus walked the earth, even though they may have had you know, apprehension or were in shock because they couldn't believe that what Jesus said he was going to go through actually would happen. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And notice this, verse 13 says, Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, the thing is, you have to do it God's way. He is the judge. He is the creator. You can't do it your own way and expect God to accept you just how you present yourself. Only Jesus can give you a righteousness that will give you the ability to be in the presence of Almighty God forever. Let me close with Luke 24, verses 45 to 48. This is beautiful. Jesus speaking, saying, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. The reason I'm in this pulpit this morning is because I've repented of my sins and I've trusted in the one name under heaven by which I can be saved, and that is Jesus Christ, God's Son. And that is what Easter is all about. It is about forgiveness. It is about uh, reconciliation. It is about resurrection. And if you're here this morning 
and you've never repented of your sins, which repentance means that you agree with God that your sin is sin before him and that you do a complete 180 and you turn away from that sin and say, Jesus Christ, I need your salvation. I need you to wash me white as snow. I need your blood which you shed on Calvary to clean me so that I can have a righteousness not my own. Because remember, um, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, only God can save you. You cannot save yourself. And if you continue to be someone who's distressed or a denier or a doubter, then you will die in your trespasses and sins and receive the just deserts, the just wages of that lifestyle through all eternity. And trust me when I tell you that the scriptures are very vivid when they speak to what hell is really like. It is not one big party that goes on forever. Because hell was was made for Satan and his angels because Satan wanted to be God. He didn't like being created. He wanted to be God himself. And he's been robbing God of glory that he is due by deceiving the minds of men and women and children for centuries. Satan can't make you sin, but he sure can tempt you into all the things that this world has to offer. And to think that, you know what? What Pastor Bill has just said is just a bunch of fairy tales. Well, I'm here to tell you it's not. It's the truth. Because it's not my words, it's God's word. And I make an appeal to you this morning. Do not leave this place apart from knowing Christ. God said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So today is the day of salvation. If you've been distressed, waffling back and forth, not knowing what to believe, if you've just been suppressing the truth all of your life, or if you just doubt whether it can be true or not, I challenge you to fall at the foot of the cross. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. And know this, when God saves someone, he saves someone completely. Do I still sin? Yes. Do I confess my sin? Yes. But because of Christ, I know where I'm going when I die. I could breathe my last and collapse on this platform in the next few seconds. And guess where I'll be? In the presence of God Almighty for eternity. Can you make that same claim this morning? I hope you can. The thing is, as you contemplate all this, if if I've raised questions in your mind as to, you know, what should I do? Then I would love to talk to you after church this morning. Pastor Kate and I will be right up front here. And don't worry about what others may think or what others may say. Because you know what? No one else is going to be able to, you know, stand before God for you as an advocate. Because the advocate is Jesus. And he either says, this one belongs to me. This one doesn't. This one can enter into the kingdom of God and enjoy eternal life forever. This one receives the just deserts of their sinful life and the penalty for that, which is death and eternal damnation in hell forever.
Is God just in that? Absolutely. Because remember, he is the creator and the lawgiver. So fall on your knees before the King of kings and Lord of lords, because Jesus is alive. He is at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is a whole lot closer to returning than he was 2,000 years ago. And believe me, he is coming back. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, Lord, I thank you for your grace this morning. I thank you that you do not give us what we deserve at the very moment that we deserve it, that you are long-suffering, that you are gracious, that you are merciful. And I know that because you, you are still offering salvation even right now this morning through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has been you know, for maybe months or years or their entire life running away from you, that they would no longer be distressed, that they would no longer deny, that they would no longer doubt, but that they would believe. Father, Lord, I thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was willing to come, that he was willing to take on human flesh, that he was willing to suffer as he did on that cross. He did not deserve that death. I deserve that death. We deserve that death. Thank you, Father, that he was obedient, that he just didn't give up and said, I'm finished with this. These people are not worth it. But Jesus only does what the Father tells him to do. Because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. Unified in salvation, unified in everything pertaining to this life and eternity. They're not divided. That's why Jesus was willing to go to the cross and to die. So that I could have eternal life, so that I could have my spiritual eyes open to truths and realities that at one point I was distressed over, that I denied and I doubted. But today I don't. So, Father, work in a powerful way through your spirit this morning, and I pray that no one would leave this place this morning without knowing your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there are many people that they could talk to that are within the sanctuary around them. They can come and talk to me because this is the most important thing because we're not guaranteed even the next hour of life. To get into our cars and get into a car accident and die. It's a reality. We could find out that we have stage four cancer and have a week to live. Because that's the result of sin. That's what sin does. It destroys. And so, Father, thank you for your son, which is victorious over death and sin. And through faith and trust in him, we can have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, be reconciled to you, no longer be your enemy, but be your friend, be your son or your daughter, so that we can glorify and enjoy you forever. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.